Hello and welcome to Open Minds Radio. This is your host Alejandro Rojas and I am here with Martin Rolling Stone Willis. You are on the road, correct? I am. I am currently right out front of the USDA in Albany, New York. I'm ha- I have to get my dog stamped for international travel. Oh, really? That's like I thought that's like meat packing and stuff though. You're not going to like <laughs> Sell your dog for food in Russia. Is that a delicacy well, out there or something? I didn't say he was alive. Oh. No, he, he's quite alive. We actually mm-hmm. have to get papers stamped. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when we're ready to go tomorrow. Just oh, the wow. paper stamped here. Okay. And that's it. It's a long process. not easy to travel with a dog. But I am inseparable from my little uh, chihuahua. Um, <laughs> How funny. I, I understand. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. He's one of these, uh, he doesn't shake, he doesn't bark, like oh, people always complain. He's very loyal, and he attacks on command. Uh-huh. So, it's it's perfect, he's a perfect dog. Good, little attacker, little ankle attacker on demand. That's it. Yep. Hey, nobody wants their ankles bitten off, so it works just as good as anything else. The greys hate him, yeah. <laughs> I can understand, because I had a little chihuahua that I loved to death. But oh, yeah. um, I guess before we move on, because you don't have much time, so I do want to tell people who the guest will be uh, once uh, you hang up on me. <laughs> That's going to be Ron Felber. He's an author, and he usually authors um, fiction books, thrillers, and the such. He comes from a corporate background. However, he says uh, uh, 20 years ago or so, he met this couple who he says is credible who told him that they were abducted by aliens. So um, he was open to listening to them, and uh, he says he believes their story, and uh, he spent a lot of time. He's had it researched, and uh, so he wrote a book on their story uh, called The Mojave Incident, inspired by a chilling story of alien abduction, and we interviewed him about that. So uh, we'll have that coming up after Martin and I talk about the news. Well, hey, Ron's going to be on my show as well. Uh, what? October se- yep, October 7th, I believe it is. Oh, okay, wow, how funny. So, yeah, yep, so uh, yeah, I was really looking forward to talking to him. But now I'll have to listen to the show to make sure I don't ask him the same questions you ask him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so uh, pretty interesting stuff. So we'll talk to him in just a minute. But before we do that, let's go ahead and get into the news. So do you have a news story I do. You know, one of the things I liked uh, when I was reading through the stories on Open Minds is it's about an old case that happened in 1994. And like you had mentioned a while back, it seems like a lot of these old cases are coming forward. People are coming forward to tell them it might have to do with, uh, you know, the UFO shows on TV and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, Hangar One with, uh, you know, MUFON. Um, So this is a MUFON reported case recently. It happened back 
1994, and it was a Virginia witness. And they talk about, I, I really like this story because they talk um, in detail about this UFO that um, hovered over a house. So the, the witness recalled that um, back in, I think it was September of 1994, um, he he or she was returning to work and noticed what looked like a huge star moving across the horizon in the distance. And um, the person followed this thing, got in the car, and drove about a mile away when um, he or she came upon this encounter. Um, and it was only about 100 or, or so feet away, and it was beaming a light down on top of a house, and it was completely quiet, completely silent. And so... What really um, was interesting about this is um, it uh, had a huge red light in the center of the bottom, and then it was covered with white lights. and um, And they drew they drew a picture of it and submitted it. So on your site, you can see what it looked like. And the thing that really was interesting about this um, is she noticed that he or she noticed. I have a feeling it was a woman, but I have no idea why. Mm-hmm. Uh, they noticed that. A car was in a school parking lot, and it left, and the UFO followed it. So they drove behind and up over a hill to see what was happening, and both the car and the UFO were nowhere to be seen. Hmm. Great story. Yeah, really weird stuff. Um, and, yeah, these are those ones that are just so strange. And and the image is kind of cool because they use, like, a Photoshop or something it looks like to create the image so it uh, uh, gives you a better effect um, but yeah that is a really weird case it's an interesting one and these are hard and some people are like oh you know there's no pictures or video we just have to take them by their word but you know what even with pictures and videos typically you can't make heads or tail of them so you you have to use mm-hmm. the anecdotal information anyway so anecdotal information is kinda all we have to go on and these are one of those things where you're like did it happen? Did it not? You know, what the heck? I mean, there's so much detail. You wouldn't think someone would um, go through the effort of, you know, making up this such a odd story right. um, just to post it. Not only that, it's uh, when someone remains anonymous mm-hmm. and they go through this type of detail, you know, what would they benefit? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think it's a great story. Yeah, really interesting one. All right, so um, I wanted to talk to you, not that it's fun to talk crap, and I don't mean to throw too many jabs at uh, some of these places out there, but this is just one of those things. So there's this video of a a Russian UFO out, um, and, you know, we've talked about, we talk about how the tabloids have picked up UFO stories so much uh, in the U.K., but right. it started to get annoying lately because they're picking up these videos on these hoaxed, on these YouTube sites that create hoaxed UFO videos all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a guy, in, uh, the director of investigations here, Dennis Firemouth, here in uh, Arizona. He's great. He de- he actually, unfortunately, you know, discovered the mundane nature of a Tucson sighting out here, uh, and we posted that story not too long ago. Lee Spiegel actually wrote about it. But he also did this video because um, there was a hoax video, Secure Team 10, uh, you know, put out this video. They have lots of hoax videos, and they put this one where this cube comes out of this, you know, cloud type of thing. 
And so Dennis had shown me how he made something very similar in 10 minutes. And he gave me this video, and it's great. And I've been waiting for the right chance to use it. So when this Russian thing came along, you know, I just kind of – it was getting all over the place. So I decided to look into it. It took me 10 minutes to figure out the background. I mean my concern huh? here is that most of these alleged fantastic videos, uh, there's no witness testimony. Um, like on huh? our stories, when we write stories about UFO sightings, we post the YouTube link you know when you're looking mm-hmm. at the youtube video it's from their youtube channel we're not you know stealing it and reposting it which is what happened in the case i'm about to to mention or we're not just fabricating it with these hoaxed ones you usually they don't have any um history to them at all and you don't know who the witness is and you can't trace them so i decided to trace this video of the russian uh ufo sure enough it turns out It was actually um, posted a year ago, Uh, coincidentally a year ago from the date that I decided to write the story, September 9th, which is so weird, and it was from Poland. So these guys saw um, these lights over uh, a bay out there in uh, Poland, and there were actually a couple videos that were taken. I think they're most likely military flares, but who knows? Some people have said they disagree with that. You can go to the videos. They are, you know, interesting videos. Apparently, the videos were them then downloaded and posted by a bunch of these, you know, dubious UFO YouTube uh, uh, places. One of them posted it recently, and they said it was Russian. Unfortunately, then, uh, one of the popular UFO sites out there that the UK loves to, to follow posted it with all of this wrong information. And then the Daily, uh, what is the Mirror Online, posted the story with all the completely wrong information without doing the research to find out where it really came from. It's just frustrating that, you know, they don't do their due diligence, and we've talked about this before, and they post just completely false information um, as if it's the truth, and it's just um, very frustrating. How did you figure that out? I mean, if you 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 only had a video to go on, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how did you figure out that it was the one in Poland? Well, you know, I figured there can't be too many Polish UFO videos. Um, so, well, Russian, actually, is uh, first what I did. And so I Googled Russian UFOs videos, looked through the videos um, until, you know, I found the same one. And I just kept searching. Then I found, uh, luckily, I guess this is what helped. The person who originally posted the video put in his comments, it could be the Russian military. So that's why this came up was, uh, uh-huh. under, with the tag word Russian because actually it's a Polish video. So, uh, and it actually came up because it was posted by one of the very popular uh, hoaxing UFO YouTubes out there. And uh, and they at least had more information about its origins. So I was able to use that information to do more searching to find the original videos um, from the original posters. And that's what I have in my story is links to the originals so people can see the difference. Um, oh, I see. And mm-hmm. get the background. Because I also think it's fair, you know, 
uh, to give the original person the hits. They deserve – that's why I don't like to <laughs> – a lot of people will mm -hmm. ask, can I download your video and put it on my YouTube? Because then I'm making it more popular and I'm making money off of your video. I would rather embed the original person's video so first they get credit for it because it's their video. And second, so it, you know people can go to the source, find out – more about the origins of the video so they can question the you know the person who posted the video in the first place and do their own research and investigation um mm. so it's funny enough mirror online uh lee spiegel i don't know if you saw this wrote a story recently about how the mirror online wrote about edgar mitchell saying that uh, aliens are stopping nukes from happening and lee spiegel asked edgar mitchell about it and he said he never told the, the mirror that and uh, he, oh, they just goodness. completely made up the interview. Ah, oh, I had no idea. That that story was everywhere. Yeah, it was everywhere. And and now Mitchell says, yeah, they made it up. Wow. Isn't that wild? Aren't there, like, libel lawsuits for stuff like this? I don't know. They did, Lee said they did reach out to the mirror, and they didn't want to comment. Uh, <laughs> Lee was expecting the mirror to re rebut, you know, the story. Uh, because if they really did, because they said we got this these quotes from an interview, but instead of saying, "Look, here's our quotes from the interview. Here's proof we did the interview," they've said nothing. So well, perhaps you know uh, the interview never did happen. Who knows? Uh, it's it seems like the uh, someone did some research in the time that they claimed they did the interview uh, was the same time that uh, Jaime was holding his Roswell slides event. And it was actually the same day that uh, Edgar Mitchell had a pre-recorded interview that was shown there at the Roswell Slides event. Mm. So, yeah, well, I don't know what's going on with this world. Uh. <laughs> In fact, I'm like, I, I don't post their links because you know how I do the daily headlines. I'm not posting mm -hmm. these these links that the uh, UK tabloids are posting these dubious videos anymore. I mean, if it's something original, I, I love the stories where they have a you know citizen there in the UK who says, "Look at my weird pictures or videos," because that's great. Those are just regular people reporting stuff. But um, uh, even though often they turn out to be birds or, or something mundane, but not always. And uh, it's better than. I th you know, they're just seeking the sensationalism of uh, posting these dubious videos. What can you do? That's right. What can you dubious? <laughs> you know, I'm going to – this is the first time I'm going to have to cut this short because yeah. I have an appointment. i got to get my dog stuck. No problem. All right. All right. Glad to have you for a little while. You have a safe trip, and hopefully we'll hear from you soon, right? Yes. Hopefully we can connect next Monday. It'll be late in the afternoon for me in russia while you're just getting up perfect so hopefully we can make it work all right thank you very much sir you have a great trip wonderful thanks be safe all right thanks a lot see ya all right now that martin is gone i am gonna talk some mad smack about him <laughs> oh you're not gone yet <laughs> All right. Well, now our good buddy Martin is gone for real. So now we can really talk some smack. Just kidding. Um, let's go ahead and get into our interview with Ron Felber. I am very excited to have author Ron Felber with me. Hello, Ron. How you doing there, Alejandro? Good to hear your voice. Thank you. Yeah, it's always exciting when uh, people who 
Um, you know, normally, aren't the regular people who are out there writing books on this topic kind of find something, especially people who are, are uh, seasoned authors such as yourself, um, find something that inspires them to get into this? And uh, so uh, maybe you could tell people a little bit about uh, the name of your book and what it's about. Well, it's called The Mojave Incident. Mojave Incident is available on Amazon and, you know, Barnes & Noble and the rest. And uh, the way I got into it uh, was a little bit odd because I, I was a, a businessman for quite some time and I ran a company, a fairly large one, and uh, we had about 100 salespeople nationwide. And one of them was a good friend of mine on the West Coast. And, um, you know, we, we were friends, so we talked like friends. And over dinner one time, knowing that I was a writer, he had a best friend who he played football with. As a matter of fact, this fellow was an all-state uh, uh, football player uh, from a from a, a college in California, and they played football together. So he told me about an experience they had had, this incredible story with UFOs and alien abduction. And at the time, I was writing thrillers, and I still write thrillers, uh, the Jack Madsen series, etc., uh, things of that nature. So I said, well, you know, I, yeah, this whole UFO thing, I, alien abductions. I'm sure your friends are great people, but you know, it's just not something. I really have an interest in spending a lot of time writing about. So he was very co compelling, and he said, look, they don't want to tell the story. They, they you know, went to their folks with it, their parents with it, and while their parents were understanding and helpful, you know, if they loved them, et cetera, they were, very, they were skeptical, and, and they really were very mm, smitten, the, the two individuals, the Giffords, this would be Tom and Elise Gifford, about that. So he put us together, and reluctantly we met, but I found the story so incredibly compelling and them so credible that I, I said to myself, this is a story that needs to be told because I don't think there's another one like it, mm -hmm. period. And about how long ago was that? Well, the, the event actually happened in October uh, 1989, but they continued to well after that mm -hmm. in terms of just this feeling of being watched and some, watched and some episodes that happened with their children, etc., and when um, was it you, uh, your friend approached you and you began speaking with the Giffords? That, that would have been in the uh, early 1990s, like oh, 1990, okay. 1991. Mm -hmm. But what I did was research it very thoroughly. We taped had long sessions where we taped uh, each of their you know, accounts. Great detail, vivid detail about the, the craft, about the, the, uh, the aliens that they encountered, etc., and uh, then I had them uh, brought to the National Center of Psychiatry. I'd gone to Georgetown University. That's where I got my degree. And a friend of mine was director of uh, psychiatry at the National Center of Psychiatry in, in Washington. So we took there first to get an evaluation. And uh, Dr. Bernard Vitone said, you know, this is the most unusual case I've ever encountered. Hmm. Uh, I believe what they're saying is true. Um, they have no neurosis, they have no psychosis, there's not anything except this. They are suffering from the symptoms that a POW, a prisoner of war, might suffer from. Mm -hmm. Sexual dysfunction, uh, insomnia, um, an inability to engage in day-to-day -day life anymore. So that was telling. Then I brought them to get retrogressed uh, by an FBI hypnotist in Asheville, uh, South Carolina, uh, and that would be uh, Dr. William Annixter, who, again, um, 
was absolutely stunned and said he had never encountered anything like it. And, and believe it, I mean, believe that this was absolutely true when you look at the various possibilities and other explanations that the one that they had and the one that we had was the correct one, which was that they were abducted by aliens. Mm-hmm. So this book has been a long time in the making. You've been talking with this couple for around 20 years now. Well, I mean, I think I put this aside. Um, again, we had them uh, taken for polygraph tests. I mean, it was a fairly extensive proposition in terms of research. Mm-hmm. I went to the actual site myself. So, you know, I had, uh, at the time I was running a company, and it was something that I did when I could do it, but I kept copious notes and taped everything I could, videotaped the hypnotic sessions, so that what you have here is an extremely well-researched and well-documented account that's uh, really singular in its, uh, and unique in its, uh, in its um, scope. Mm-hmm. What had you thought of, uh, prior to, to your friend approaching you, uh, what had you thought, if anything, about uh, the whole UFO phenomena? Well, I mean, like everybody else, I mean, I think everybody wants to know somewhere in the back of their mind, uh, what is life all about? What is mm-hmm. existence all about? Is there something, are we all part of some larger plan? And so people, you know, become religious, people become spiritual, and some people reject the whole notion entirely. Um, I guess that I would be one of these people that would say, I'm uh, modestly religious, um, modestly spiritual. I guess, if anything, I was a, 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 a cop trans who transported federal prisoners for a living. Mm-hmm. Then uh, I became a, a corporate executive and CEO. So, if anything, I guess I'd be more of a skeptic than uh, you know than anything else. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, it's one thing to be open to the UFO phenomena, and then it's something else to uh, kind of be open to. Uh, alien abduction, which a lot of people, uh, uh, less people are are open to the idea. Had you really been familiar with that concept even uh, before you had heard from uh, your friend? Yeah, I mean, I, I I was familiar with it like most people in a general way because it's it's out there, you know, in the in the public arena, mm-hmm. but it's generally out there as a kind of entertainment. Um, so I didn't I didn't really look at it uh, as as anything you know, very serious. I mean, I, I had a casual interest like, like most people probably would. But um, this was something really different because if you knew these people and got, got to know them and met them, this is a fellow who's a career-oriented guy. I mean, mm-hmm. he's running a um, um, project for a large construction company that built malls and built shopping centers and things. So, I mean, he's dealing with lots of employees, directing lots of employees, dealing with a lot of you know, money and deadlines and things. His wife was um, a sort of college graduate, all-state football player. Uh, the wife is a, uh, a mother of two uh, with a third third uh, child that she was expecting at that time. So you really couldn't ask for more stable people. Mm-hmm. I mean, very classic, upwardly mobile, college-educated, career-oriented. The last thing in the world people like that want is something that takes them off the track that they've been almost bred to be on. Mm-hmm. It derails everything, everything that right. they thought mattered in life. So when you first met them, uh, what was your mindset like? Were you really skeptical, uh, or had your friend convinced you that uh, at that point were you really open to it 
um, when you first met well, them? Well, yeah. Well, my friend was is like again a, a very one of the more you know stable guys I know. Mm-hmm. Hard working. By the way, now it works for Oracle and and uh, executive up in Oracle. So mm-hmm. this is no lightweight. It's a, 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 a uh, more than stable, I would say, you know, one of the, the backbone of the country kind of guys. Hmm. Uh, success, highly successful, uh, nice family, uh, all, all of those things. So if he tells you, this is my best friend, if he tells you we played football together in college, and believe me, this guy has, you know, is telling the truth. He has no reason in the world. He doesn't want to tell people. He confided in me. You've got to say, well, obviously something happened to these people. What was it? Mm-hmm. So what was that first meeting like? Did you go to their house and your friend was like, hey, tell them about your alien thing? <laughs> well, I mean, it was uh, that's really funny because I, I, I didn't just, you know, uh, go there for a couple of hours or something. I spent a couple of days there. Hmm. And, uh, you know, we started with a dinner to sort of break the ice and, and warm things up. And I think they probably were skeptical of me as I was of them. And, you know, we, I think they trusted me and I, I believe them. And where I came from on this was, I don't know what happened to you, but something incredible happened to you. And, um, no matter where it leads, it's, it's a hell of a story. Mm-hmm. Now in the book, uh, is the story, it says based on or inspired by. So is is the book um, fictionalized version of of their events of what happened? No, actually, um, almost I won't say all of it, but I would say eighty percent of it is comes from transcripts and tapes directly. Mm-hmm. You know, written. Uh, some of the chronology has changed around just because um, you know if you've ever written a story, uh, sometimes. Sometimes the, the chronology you have to change a little bit, or or it gets very complicated. Mm. So things like that. I changed the names of the principals, Tom and Elise Gifford. Those are our pseudonyms, and I changed the names of their children, um, you know, for privacy reasons. Mm-hmm. Other sense. than that, uh, it's a true story. Uh, it's a true story, straightforward. Mm-hmm. So what did they tell you? How did their um, uh, events, the strangeness start for them? This is, uh, again, what makes this so credible is that I think everybody can imagine themselves doing exactly what they did pretty much. So here's a couple that, um, you know, have two children, two young children, let's say one five, I believe, and the other maybe, you know, one and a half. So the mother, the mother, you know, wants, wants to get out of the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, have a good time. She's sort of been, you know, stuck with children and just wants to be around adults and have some fun. Uh, the husband is an avid hunter, and um, a year before, he had missed a mule deer, uh, a shot at a mule deer, and his father and his brother gave him quite a hard time about it. And being the competitive guy that he was, he wanted to go back out into the Mojave and uh, uh, track that mule deer and, and bag it. Hmm. So they had two conflicting sort of uh, goals here. Well, what they decided to do was a compromise. So the uh, the husband Tom told his wife Elise, "Look, let's go to a place called Whiskey Pete's where they had been. There's live music, uh, you know, great bands. Uh, we'll have a, a couple of drinks. We'll dance. We'll have a good time. 
we'll take our, our camper and uh, then we'll go and, and we'll do my hunting. And, uh, you know, you can uh, uh, do some mountain climbing. You can, you know, uh, scope things out while I hunt. And we'll both do what we want to do. So they did go to Whiskey Pete. And um, they were going to camp at a place called Mid Hills Campsite. But when they got there, uh, un- unusual for the time, all of the uh, sites were taken. So they were sort of stuck. So Tom, who had, was very familiar with the desert, said, look, um, it's dark, it's off-road, it's kind of desolate, but I know this, this area like the back of my hand. I've been hunting there with my father and brother for years. So let's go, and, um, you know, we'll cook up some steaks and, uh, you know, do some stargazing and uh, have a romantic evening. And then I'll do my hunting, and we, we, leave, uh, we leave the next day. So that was the plan. But when they're roasting their marshmallows, after they have their steak, they're stargazing. And, of course, in the desert, it's, you know, brilliantly clear. And they see these particularly shiny stars. So Tom, who's sort of an expert on configurations and whatnot, is identifying this configuration of stars and that. And Elise, his wife, said, well, what about these? What is that one? And what started to happen is these bright, shiny orbs in the horizon form a configuration of, a, of an M. A giant M. And uh, Tom is a little bit stunned at that because obviously it's no configuration of stars. So they start to guess what it might be. And, of course, they they guess that maybe it's some sort of military exercise. Maybe these are some kind of craft that, uh, that are up there because they're starting to communicate with one another. They're blinking in something that looks like code. Then um, I, maybe I can actually read a quote to you. Sure. This is from Tom Gifford. When we first saw them dropping, because these things then start to drop from the sky. When we first saw them dropping from the sky, we thought it was some kind of military maneuver, maybe for Operation Desert Storm. But it was too massive even for that. I mean, there were hundreds of them falling, then rushing toward us. So I kicked out the campfire, grabbed my gun, and ran into the back of the camper with Elise. There we sat Indian-style, waiting, until they came, hundreds of them, hundreds of pairs of tiny red eyes glowing in the dark around us. Wow. Harrowing. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty terrifying. Now, and about what year, this was in the late 80s then? This this would have been October 89. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, so what did they remember next? Well, I'll tell you, probably the best place to uh, to go is to is to the book itself because I have you know some quotes that we can go to. Uh-huh. But basically, what happens is there's actually different kinds of beings that they encounter, and uh, the first kind are, are, are malevolent. Uh, they're small, they're sort of raucous, and uh, hmm. these are the red-eyed sort of creatures. But then they're surrounded by uh, these illuminated figures. And uh, I have some really very vivid descriptions of, of those, those uh, beings. And uh, what happens then is a huge craft hovers over them. And when I say huge, I mean the size of a football field. And uh, while that's happening, and these illuminated figures are circling them, Tom tries to leave. He tries to go for his gun, but they're jolted by electric shocks when they move forward and try to escape. 
Mm-hmm. So literally, they're held captive there. And um, then they go through something that could only be, um, I guess, classified as a kind of torture. Hmm. So, but these things were outside of the camper? That's right. As a matter of fact, they, uh-huh. they pulled the curtain shut, but they were shining like white light. And so it didn't matter if the curtains were shut. Hmm. At first, when these things started falling, they thought the Russians were invading. They thought it was like a world war or something. Wow. And so they're, they're, and then he, uh, he tried to open and go outside of the camper when he was shocked? Yeah, actually what happened was uh, there were these two uh, sort of, I don't know what to say, monitors, let's call them. And uh, sort of like holog- holographs, holograms. And so when they moved forward a foot, the holograms would move forward and they were electrified. Hmm. So if they moved too close, they would get jolted. And they realized they, they were just trapped there. I have a little section here. Mm-hmm. The sky above them, their entire nighttime sky, was now filled with hundreds of shiny objects flashing signals to one another. Together they sat holding each other, too frightened to move, too frightened until it began. Slowly at first, like parachutes floating, free-falling downward gracefully. So they stared, captivated by the prospects as dozens no hundreds of the glowing white objects traveled like falling stars across the sky. Oh, my God, screamed, uh, screamed Elise. It's the Russians. The Russians are invading. <laughs> no, Tom comforted, scrambling to his feet. It can't be. Get in the truck. I'll put out the fire, and they won't see us. Elise hesitated. He shoved her. Get in the truck. The lights were landing now, he observed, landing all over the valley. The lights were landing, his frantic mind processed, and coming towards them. With the... Tom grabbed Elise, who just sat there staring and jerked her to her feet. They're coming to get us, she muttered, entranced. There's no road, no roads out there, Tom said as much to himself as to her, but they're still coming at us. He looked to his wife who had lapsed into a state of shock, then took her by the hand as he raced around to the truck's cab, grabbing his 12-gauge Ithaca shotgun, 7-millimeter Browning rifle, and a hunting vest looped with dozens of rounds of ammo. At the end of, the, uh, the end of this, telepathically, they're just told, get in the truck. If you try to fight us, we'll kill you. Mm-hmm. Did he ever try to fire uh, any of his guns? No, he couldn't. As mm-hmm. it, you know, as, as it happened, he, they just both became kind of entranced and wound up uh, in the back of the uh, camper. Mm-hmm. When you say they were tortured, uh, were did they feel that then they were taken on board the craft, or did this torture happen while they were in the truck? Did it all kind of take place at, in both, the camper? Well, and one mm-hmm. of the things that makes this so unique, I believe, is that I don't know of anything where for an extended eight hours, eight conscious hours, Two individuals are looking at each other, describing spacecrafts, descri- describing the aliens themselves, mm-hmm. the different kinds of aliens, pinching themselves. Do you see this? Yes, I see it. What do you see now? Comparing notes, moment to moment. They thought they were going to have heart attacks, and wh- when they got to the verge of um, a feeling like they, they were, they were going to have a heart attack, a kind of mist filled the truck and, and calmed them. 
uh, like a kind of anesthesia. This is what, um, what Elise Gifford says. They wanted everything we had, everything, our minds, our bodies, even our souls, I think. It was like they drew it out of us with a syringe, every molecule, and it was painful, and I thought we were going to die, or had already died, and were being tortured in hell. Hmm. Yeah, strange, because it seems like kind of a um, non-physical kind of torture in some ways. Well, actually, it, it was both. Mm -hmm. What happened um, was they were made to relive uh, experiences. Uh, for example, I don't want to get into this too much, but there was a molestation of, uh, of one of the principal characters when she was a child and made to relive that. Uh, moments of exaltation, moments of uh, horror, moments of uh, everything, like they were really living it. And um, the purpose, it seemed, was... To, to see what their reactions would be emotionally, to, 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 to pull from them an understanding of how human emotions work. Mm -hmm. And so when uh, they were taken to the craft, how did that happen? Yeah, that's, uh, that's really uh, one of the more fascinating things. Maybe I can uh, read to you a little bit about the craft itself or okay. something like that. Okay, great. Yeah. The craft was larger than anything they ever imagined could fly, more than a football field in diameter and shaped like a disc with an elevated dome that rose up from its center. It was encircled by brilliant white lights flashing in what appeared to be coordinated, coded rhythms. Together they watched in awe, stunned as the huge craft shot a probe perhaps 200 feet in diameter down to the ground, then began transporting objects both into and out of the spacecraft. From the disc's underbelly hung six smaller units, the size of helicopters, and designed like miniature versions of the mother craft that suddenly became visible. All of this happening right before their eyes, and it was overwhelming. Do you see it too, Tom asked. Yes. The big ship with six others suspended from it. She nodded, her mouth buried in the flesh of his shoulder. The tunnel of light beaming objects up and down. Again, she nodded. Name the objects. They're patterns of things, more than actual physical objects, things like plants and cattle, cactus and trees. Anything else? She paused long enough to observe a pattern of red, amber, and white lights in the form of a triangle emanating from the ship, then breaking loose from it, moving carefully, methodically across the desert basin. She nodded. Yes, there's a triangle of lights with the tip of the triangle touching down on the ground. It seems to be combing the ground beneath the disk as if searching for something. She shook her head to clear it. Do you hear the rumbling? Deep inside the ground, the triangle's like a drill, a huge drill of some kind. Strange, huh? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really strange. Um, I guess to say the least, huh? Yeah. Um, so, and this is all stuff that they remembered consciously. That's correct. Mm-hmm. So when you now, did you, that mm -hmm. uh, hypnosis... Um, was that to were there instances later in their lives where they didn't remember something or um what was the purpose of that there were there were actually four hours of missing time when they were actually on the craft mm -hmm. and some of that is the most uh, compelling and most uh, i don't know uh harrowing um information you, you could imagine i think and then how was it that they were transported onto the craft did they remember that yeah, um, basically, th there was this light, this beam that beamed them up 
and mm-hmm. it sucked up other things too. But eventually, they wound up there in a kind of holding uh, cell uh, with other things. But they were examined uh, physically, and during the uh, during the hypnosis sessions, I mean, they they were it was really quite traumatic. What did the beings that they encountered look like? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, let me let me uh, let me get to a, a a section that that really describes at least one of them. This was a an encounter that they had. As I mentioned, this went on after the event itself. And uh, Elise Gifford during the hypnotic sessions kept scratching at her at her um, at her neck, and so Dr. Annixer said, "Why are you doing that?" And she said, I can't talk about it. So he kept pressing, but in a way that was subtle. Finally, she said, probes. That's how they watch us. That's how they track us. They know everything we're doing. They know when we're doing it. They know how we're doing it. So, so here's a description, and this comes from an event that happened weeks after, several weeks after the actual event. It was four weeks later in the dead of early morning that dream, the dreams recurred with an intensity unlike any of the others. In his, Tom saw himself once again back in the camper, trapped and screaming, while the illuminated creatures encircled him. He was screaming, but there was no sound. And then he saw a flashing image. It was of a long, narrow tunnel with lights running along the sides. But then it was gone again, and then he saw a being who was all white, the color of the tunnel lights. Again, he saw a flashing image, and it was of several beings like that. They were trying to restrain him. Then the vision was gone, and only the first figure remained. So these are the, 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 the uh, emerging subconscious things that had been suppressed that are coming out in dreams. They come out in vivid detail in the uh, hypnosis sessions. But here's a description. Then the vision was gone, and only the first figure remained. The being is four feet tall. He wears a white luminous uniform with an upturned arrow on the chest. He has no facial features, no mouth or lips, only slits. He passes directly through the wall. He stands behind the headboard. He stays there, passes his three long fingers over Elise's face, over and over. Tom can only see the hand. He opens his eyes, and directly above him is the face of the white being. You're dreaming, he hears the voice say. Then he looks to Elise's face and sees the burn marks its fingers have left. Hey, wait a minute, Tom says aloud. This is no dream. He turns to Dawn and gasps. He was awake. He knew he was awake, and Dawn had the burn marks all over her face. When, uh, like, this incident happened, did they go to the doctor to have those burn marks checked out? They did. Actually, they took photographs of it. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so, yeah, I mean... All of these sound like very terrifying experiences. Yeah, here's uh, here's here's what another. This comes from the tapes. Um, this is uh, the doctor speaking. Take a deep breath. Let your mind search. Let the memory come back on its own. Then speak out and share it with us. Take your time. This is me, my wife, and I on the edge of our seats in anticipation. Already, Annixter had established they were inside the ship at the time they fell asleep. At last, Tom Gifford spoke. His face was a mask of concentration. His vision was hazy for the period, though obviously he was struggling to see it. I see bright, 
bright, blinking lights. I'm on my back, encircled by people looking at me. I see their outlines in the light, strange shadows, but it's so bright. Go on, persisted Annixter. Take a deep breath. Let it out and see if you can remember more. I'm fighting, fighting and resisting them in the camper. Tom is suddenly agitated. Elise is grasping for my hand as she's being pulled away. They're white, white all over, and I'm fighting. He throws his head to one side. I want to remember things about that, but the memories don't seem concrete, more like images. Suddenly, Elise's voice rings out with a volume and hysteria that sets our teeth on edge. Bug eyes, she screams. Annixter swings around to her. Say more. It's one of the white ones, she says, perplexed. Then in a panicked voice, can't move. I'm just scared. She begins crying. I want to go home now, she weeps, her chest heaving as terror rises up inside her. Long fingers, she adds, suddenly tense as she sees it. There's three around my face, almost touching, but not touching. What's on the other side of the fingers, Annixter prods? Light, white, white light. I remember this hallway all lit up in blue lights, even in the ground. I guess I'm walking, but it doesn't feel like I'm walking. Go on. It's like a tunnel, long, no room, just a long tunnel of light, until finally there's an opening. Who are you with? The white guy. Where is your husband? I don't know where he is, she moans. I can feel him in my mind, though. I feel I'm, I'm linked to him. Big head, real white. I can't tell what they're made of, like skin so translucent it glows, but you can't see veins in things. She strains to see. I guess he's wearing a shiny covering, too. I don't know what kind of material that is. She hesitates. I see something on his chest. It's like an arrow, just the top of an arrow. What else? Three fingers and a thumb. Really shiny, really long. I just hate his eyes. So dark you can't even see them. Can't see the parts like our eyes. They're big, then go skinny at the end. That tiny nose, practically just two holes. Little tiny mouth, but I don't think there are teeth or even lips. A little chin, no hair. Skinny body like a five-year-old's, almost my height. What happens is at this point? What does he say or do? I'm supposed to just lie on the table. It's okay. I don't know why he keeps looking in my eyes. He puts his finger on my face, just like he did at home that time when he burned me. Yeah. So these experiences, um, do they continue to this day? Um, they've, they've abated. They continued for some period of time, and mm-hmm. really what, um, what at least uh, Annexter thought was like a POW, you know, if you've had a really traumatic experience, it doesn't just go away. Mm-hmm. It's like an explosion in a, in a tunnel or in a cave. It reverberates. And um, his theory was that a lot of what happened afterwards was post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. So how long did they have actual uh, in that you all can surmise? It, it might be difficult um, to know for sure, but how long do you think they were having um, actual experiences? A couple of years. Mm-hmm. And and all in the early 90s or, or late 80s into the 90s? Yeah, late 80s into the 90s. And if you ask them now, they still think it's going on. They still think they're watched. Mm-hmm. But uh, the psychologist thinks that that could, or psychiatrist yes. thinks it could be um, post-traumatic stress syndrome. Um, yeah, in the sense that, uh, you know, if you hear pipes rattling or doors creaking, 
you know, if you're really, uh, you know, uh, had this drawing experience, mm-hmm. the interpretation of those noises becomes becomes different mm-hmm. to someone that's gone through that versus someone that hasn't. With these experiences they had, were was there any communication beyond just uh, what seemed to be experimentation? Um, was there any information uh, yes. imparted on them? What was that? This is one of the more stunning, um, stunning sequences. Um, the doctor says, Elise, and this is while she's under hypnosis, Elise, do you have any idea what these beings want or why they're here? It was macabre watching as Elise sprang up in her chair, suddenly animated and alert. Her voice, rather than soft and emotional, took on a new cadence, which was clipped and direct, quite unlike her. They want to make contact with the population. Tom and I are specimens, imperfect like the human race. When we're ready to communicate with them face to face, then possibly the world will be too. Mm-hmm. And that they was... have to study our reactions, so they know. Hmm? Oh, go okay. ahead. They have to study our reactions, so they know how to approach us. They don't have emotions like ours, so they need us to teach them. They need to understand humans. Do you have a sense as to who they are and where they come from? There are five galaxies. Theirs is the next closest. In order for all five galaxies to work together one day, they have to start, and they're starting with us, so we'll be united galaxies. What else do you know? I know where the universe ends, she said, rattling the words off in staccato fashion. Is that something you can put into words? Our universe ends where theirs begins. Our universe ends when all its matter stops mattering to us and starts mattering to them. Everyone in the room looked to one another, stunned at what they heard and what they were seeing. For now, sitting on the edge of the out-of-date cushioned armchair sat Elise Gifford, her body rigid and vibrating with newfound energy. And were you there? Yeah, yeah we, I was there, sure. Uh-huh. What did it feel like? You know, Chilling. experiencing this. Chilling. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you did you walk away with the sense that somehow you were, you know, um, you had just been a part of a, a sort of a communication or uh, of information coming from? Um, Absolutely. It yeah. Was, it was like it was like being in the presence of a medium. Mm-hmm. And channeling. There's, there's a couple of other things that were, were really interesting. Mm-hmm. Is there? She she doesn't want to talk about the examination for obvious reasons. So this is something that uh, that you know finally comes out, but uh, but uh, you know it took some some coaxing. But there were other things. Um, Elise, why do you think there are things you don't want to remember? I don't know. Is there something preventing you from sharing what you know? I can't tell you. If these beings are in contact with you, tell me what you know about them. God created our... This is so bizarre, because can you imagine somebody just off the top of their head, like, rattling this off? Mm -hmm. God created our world in His image, but not theirs, she croaked, or any of the others. Are there many different kinds of beings? Yes, different ones, different hybrids. When do you think this communication will happen between the aliens and humans? I don't know. In my lifetime... How long will you live? The hairs on the back of my neck raised. In a normal man's lifetime, our children's, she said at last. 
It was then that I had the distinct feeling that I was in a chess match of words. Elise had begun to take satisfaction in the cleverness, the sharpness of her responses. I tried a new tack. Are we watched as a population regularly? Yes. By many different kinds of beings? Sent on missions from the one supreme, she said, finishing my sentence. What does that mean? There's one supreme being that controls all of them. He sends missions here. They're not here of their own accord. This is language she would never use. This is like a president or like a god, she responded with crackling directness. What else do you know about the one supreme? The beings could care less if they were here or not, she continued in the same clipped, militant voice. They're just following orders. Where do I take this from here, I asked myself. You talked about the universe and matter earlier. You said our universe where be, our ends where theirs begin, begins. Our, she could fit, complete this now. Our universe ends when its matter stops mattering to us and starts mattering to them. What does that mean? I don't know, she said simply. The missions these aliens are on, are they friendly or unfriendly? They're neutral. They could care less. What does the one supreme want? For all galaxies to live harmoniously together. Do we have a separate God from the one supreme? No. What else do you know about this entity? Is it a being like the others? Read the Bible. Do they know about our project? Sure. Isn't that something? <laughs> hmm. Really weird. I know. I know. I know. So they felt, did they feel um, themselves, I mean, they they felt traumatized, no doubt, by all of this. Absolutely. And it sounds Absolutely. like they still feel traumatized by it. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I, I, I'd rather, you know, it's, it's difficult to talk about things, even for me to talk about it, let mm -hmm. alone them. But, I mean, they were, uh, you know, they were probed and, you know, sexually uh, dealt with and, uh, and uh, like animals, uh, like animals in a laboratory. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, did it leave them traumatized? Yeah, it left them traumatized. Mm -hmm. I mean, did they take away any positive, uh, anything positive from these experiences? That one of the one of the really, you know, I, I say about this book, it's like a crack in the wall, mm -hmm. you know. And like, let's say we're living, us in a kind of room. This is a crack in the room, the wall that that just appeared for a short period of time, that gave you. An insight that gives you an insight to what's outside the room, and um, there were, were different kinds of beings, as I mentioned to you, uh, the sort of malevolent ones, the red-eyed sort of uh, monstrous little ones that uh, were, were clearly raucous and malevolent, etc. The sort of intelligent, uh, illuminated beings that were like scientists uh, that that seemed very determined to to find out what makes human beings tick. When they were at their worst, um, when when things were in a kind of frenzy and, and they were hysterical uh, and they really thought they were going to die after hours of this, a kind of angelic presence, uh, definitely feminine, swirled onto the scene, um, not a face or anything like that, a presence, a female, a feminine presence, like a Marian visitation, and said, don't worry, you will survive this. This will be over soon. And it had a tremendous calming effect. They called this this being a sort of comforter. Hmm. But it, it, it almost get, takes on a kind of religious flavor in an odd way. And one wonders, is if through that crack, you're seeing another realm of existence that's 
a kind of order, you know, of, of different sorts of beings. Or if this was a way to extract more emotions from them, because probably in their minds, and yours and mine, whether we know it or not, are religious figures, angels, uh, Mary and, you know, the Mother Mary, whatever it might be, God. And um, maybe these things were drawn from them and used to find out how they reacted. Because if these beings wanted to communicate in mass with the human population and figure out what form to take or what methodology to use, they'd sure want to know what people found comforting, what mm-hmm. people found horrifying, uh, what people found amusing. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Now, since uh, you've gotten involved with all of this, have you also then uh, looked at the research of other people who have uh, looked into the alien abduction phenomena? You know, it's one of those things where, I don't know, uh, you sort of get sucked into it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this was something that, uh, that you know, and in, in certainly changed my life too. So uh, I won't say that Every day I rush to the library or the internet to see the latest on this or that. But yeah, no, I, I've uh, I've become a sort of aficionado, I suppose, of uh, of these uh, stories. And you find a you find a, a great similarity. For example, and, and here I'll give you a, an insight that I think is unusual. Mm-hmm. If you go back to Betty and Barney Hill, this would be in the 1960s, I believe. Interracial couple, you know, a professional guy. I think his wife was a teacher. And uh, maybe he was an insurance broker or something. Anyway, business suit kind of fellow, wife it's a, a teacher, you know, stable people again. They had this encounter where they had missing time. So they saw a UFO. It hovered above them. They look at their watch. They look at their watch when they're back in their car, and, you know, four hours have passed. They go to a, a uh, doctor. They're hypnotized, and they recover an experience not so unlike the, the Giffords, minus this, this incredible detail, this conscious detail, etc. So there are a lot of stories like where a person says they were abducted. And you have to be, you know, one of the right, there's one person, this is what they say. But once you deal with more than one person, and once you deal with people that consciously deal with something, I think that 30 years ago, whenever this happened, 40 with the... Uh, with the, uh, the couple I described, I think that things have come a long, long way since then. And the curtain is open a lot more than it was. Mm-hmm. And I think this is kind of a huge step forward towards whatever communication is going to happen. If you think about the early stories of UFOs, there were pictures like, you know, in the Himalayas or something, you'd see a disc-shaped object, black and white. But now... You know, uh, Fife uh, Simpson, the, the the governor of Arizona, talks about seeing a a, a, uh, a craft the size of a football field hover overhead while he's playing with his child in a playground, and then take off at tremendous speed, along with a thousand others mm-hmm. in Phoenix, Arizona. So these experiences now that were once little glimpses are now full blown experiences, and I can't think of a more full blown experience. Than, than the one the Mojave incident uh, describes. Mm-hmm. So something's happening. It's, it's certainly moving towards a, a much more full view of, uh, of spacecraft, of encounters, 
I think it's something like 15 million people say they've been abducted. I mean, these are big numbers. Mm-hmm. You, you see airline pilots. Jimmy Carter uh, reported seeing a UFO. Ronald Reagan on Air Force One reported seeing a UFO. You know, you have policemen, you have airplane pilots, you have Air Force, you know, fighter pilots. So what you're seeing now are, are not subtle things. Do you know they're not subtle? How do people react when you share that, uh, you know, what the subject of your book is about and that it's not just fiction, that you believe, you know, that this, these are real experiences people uh, went through? I, I promise you this really happened to them. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. Mm-hmm. And how do people, when you tell people that, how do they react? Well, you know, I'm, I'm lucky, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky because, um, you know, I have a, I have, I, I'm fairly well educated. I, you know, I have a, a, a doctorate. Um, uh, I ran a company, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I chemistry, I, you know, chemistry, so in the industry, manufacturing cars and such. So, I mean, these are hard-boiled industries. I was a cop, for God's sake. So it's not like, you know, you're a guy that, uh, you know, is homeless somewhere and, uh, you know, <laughs> you have a bottle of wine in your back pocket. And and so I think uh, a lot like the Giffords, when you start putting, you know, policemen together and pilots from United Airlines together and presidents together, I mean, clearly something's going on here. Mm-hmm. And the reason I ask is that it, it does seem that... Um, the public is getting more and more comfortable with the idea of UFOs, but uh, the the alien abduction thing still seems to kind of be uh, placed in a corner and uh, not confronted as largely, except for you know in our circles and and, and mm-hmm. amongst the researchers, uh, which is interesting. Even though, like you say, if it's not millions, it's at least hundreds of thousands of oh, people no, no, believe. It's definitely, it's definitely millions. Well, I don't know if I I. I couldn't I, I would say at least it's it's thousands if not hundreds of thousands at least okay. um, that are claiming to have these experiences which is no small number and and, and no small phenomena um, right so it's interesting though that still people just can't seem to accept or even go there but often. you know I, you know this is a funny thing too um, I have a degree in English and uh, I have a, a doctorate in arts and letters and an MBA. So I deal with business people all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have to tell you, I, I, I just retired uh, recently in June to write full time but um, and teach. But um, in dealing with business people, people that have mortgages, large mortgages, they work, their wives work. Maybe she's an attorney, he's a business guy, maybe vice versa. They work 80 hours a week. They've got a mortgage, they pay their taxes, um, they buy groceries, they take their kids to Little League. They don't want to hear about this stuff. Uh-huh. See what I mean? Yeah. They don't want to hear about it because their life is set. They're on a kind of track. And I found in business the most stunning thing to me is how such intelligent people as these, I mean with really high IQs and whatnot, have so little imagination. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, unless it's your career and you're working in a creative field, uh, imagination, uh, I guess, can be a, a detriment to many people in their careers. Well, well actually, I have to say, if uh, there's a quality that I always look for in business people, mm-hmm. it was resourcefulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think you make a good point though, because a lot of people are always asking, why is that the case? You know, there there's uh, a lot of interesting cases when it comes to UFOs. There's a lot of credible well, I, people I, talking about abduction, but people just don't seem to care. I'll give you a very good example that's very concrete. I, I had my son who's now 30, but uh, when he was a teenager, early, you know, adolescent, let's say 14. Mm-hmm. Cover of Time magazine was about Lyme's, Lyme's uh, disease. My son was, uh, we, we live in, in uh, a rural area, and uh, so camping and things like that is, you know, is part of what we do. And um, Lyme's disease was, was really, I won't say at epidemic proportions, but there were a lot of people that had, had Lyme's disease. It was a cover of Time magazine. Mm-hmm. So my son it, was doing terribly. He was a bright guy. All of a sudden, he's getting D's and F's. He's walking around the house like an old man. I mean, basically, his frame is, is bent over, racked in pain, uh, and we're very concerned, of course. Mm-hmm. So one day, he's so frustrated, he's flunking all his classes, he punches his fist through the wall. Now, do you know what that takes for a 14-, 15-year-old kid in frustration? He goes, Dad, I'm sick every day. I, go to, I, go, I wake up sick, and I go to bed sick. All day, I'm tired. I, I bring him to the doctor personally now. Now it got serious. I take a couple of days off. I said, we're going to put you through a GI series, whatever test, you know, this can't go on. I meet with the doctor, and I said, and in the office lobby is the Time magazine about Lyme, Lyme disease. <laughs> I said, do you think, you know, we live in, in, near, you know, in the woods. Is it possible that uh, he has Lyme disease? Because I don't believe in Lyme disease. Wow. Of course, my son had had Lyme disease for a year. It affected his nervous system. He had to take um, uh, the cure, you know, a, a medication, uh, through a stint in his wrist, directly, in, you know, intravenously, to, to get this out of his system because it had gone so deep. But can you imagine a doctor looks at the cover of Time magazine and says, I don't believe, I don't believe in it. I don't believe in Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. And then you talk about alien abductions. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We have a uh, a gentleman speaking at our next UFO Congress, our conference we have out here, who's a uh, former professor of sociology, and he's going to address that very issue. Uh, he ta- calls his talk about hidden events, but mm-hmm. other instances in the past where something uh, that we know now is a reality was denied in how um, science and mainstream uh, media dealt with those issues as the discoveries came forward and, and as people had to admit that uh, these things they denied in the past were, were realities. Well, well, look at John Mack from Harvard. Mm-hmm. You're familiar maybe with his book. Yeah, oh yeah. He, 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 yeah, well, I mean, here's a guy that, uh, I mean, pretty much ruined his career. A, uh, a, a, an incredibly well-respected Harvard professor, a doctorate, etc., um, renowned professor examined this su- subject and said, I believe in alien, alien abduction. Mm-hmm. This is a real and true phenomenon. Wrote a 500-page book about it, and um, really, I mean, uh, it was met with a deafening silence. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, thank you so much. We're pretty much out of time. The book is called Mojave Incident. Um, is the best place for people to get it on Amazon, or is there uh, somewhere else you would recommend people go? Well, I mean, I always like to support local bookstores. Okay. So, I mean, what I, what I would say is that if they don't have it at your local bookstore, 
independent bookstore. Just just ask them to order it, and I'm sure they will. You'll have it in a day or two. Uh, Amazon, of course, you can order it right now, and it'll be in your house in a day or two. Uh, Barnes and Noble uh, at the stores or um, at the um, you know internet outlets. Um, so it, it's it's a very accessible. And by the way, you can buy it on my website too if you like. It's uh, Ron Felber, Ron F E L B E R Felber dot uh, com. So www.ronfelber.com. Okay. All right. Well. Thank you so much for coming on and telling us about this uh, super fascinating story. It's always interesting to hear about, uh, you know, more and more of these these cases and uh, to hear them um, from someone like you that uh, has uh, such an interesting background and perspective on all of this. So thank you very much. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much to Ron for uh, being on the show. Really interesting stuff. So you guys are going to have to get this book. It's called uh, The Mojave Incident, like he said. It's published by Barricade Books. You can find it on Amazon. Or um, like Ron had mentioned, there's uh, several other places you can find it. So check it out and uh, let us know what you think. So um, good luck to Ron. So again, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you also to Martin. Uh, for being on the show and making some time while he's traveling to uh, come and join us and tell us about some news. You know, there's actually a little more news I wanted to share with you all, and that is a story I wrote just um, late last week about Travis Walton. So everybody loves to hear about Travis Walton. What is Travis up to? Oh, Travis is so great, and he is great. He's a buddy of mine. I mean, I just got to... um, he was going through town, and he stayed over uh, the house with me and my girlfriend, and we got to meet and catch up on a lot of stuff, and uh, he's just a fascinating person. Um, but I wrote a story. He's got this uh, November event coming up. It's the 40th anniversary of the incident. So on the the incident happened on November 5th, so this event happening this year is going to also start on November 5th. And uh, this is kind of cool because one of the people he's going to have is Chuck Ellison. And Chuck Ellison was the first deputy sheriff that uh, Travis Walton's co-workers spoke to. So if you remember the story with Travis Walton, he's uh, a logger. He's out there logging. Him and his buddies get ready. Um, It's about dusk to go home and they see a bright light in the forest. They go investigate that forest or that light and they find this hovering craft you know um just above the trees in this clearing kind of area um travis being a knucklehead and i think he was the youngest guy but he jumps out of the car and goes over there um trying to be cool and uh then he decides the way he says it he actually was crouched down he was getting up and uh because he decided he had to go back to the truck and the guys were yelling for him what are you doing get back here and uh, he got beamed by something and flew uh, many feet. And so the guys thought he was dead. They thought he was just shot by something and he was dead. So they took off. Uh, soon after they left, uh, after they were, you know, a little bit of a distance away, they decided we better go back and, and see if uh, Travis is, you know, work, go get his body at that point. Um, so they go back. They're really freaked out, uh, like extremely freaked i mean if your friend had um died you would imagine and this is 
the reason I'm saying this is is just a second because of course this is all alleged um, anecdotal information from these people. So tra- they go back and Travis is gone. They decide they better call the police. So they go into town, get to a phone, call the police. The police say uh, we're gonna have uh, you know I guess it was and this is where we're gonna get some details because I I think it might have been. Chuck Ellison's wife that they got a hold of first but you know this isn't documented anywhere that I know of so um, this is going to be fun to hear from Chuck and ask him the details his wife I think is going to be there too so we'll be able to ask her and um, but anyway Chuck decided said well, I'll meet you guys at the parking lot up the street of this shopping mall kind of area and um, Ken Peterson was one of the loggers uh, who was there? Um, hopefully, he'll be able to make it. But uh, there, there will be other witnesses. Not everyone has confirmed, but uh, Ken Peterson is going to try, from what I understand, if he can. Um, but Ken Peterson was the one who called the police, and he didn't want to tell them what had happened because he thought, oh, they're gonna not believe us, and they won't even come out here to check it out. So Chuck Ellison comes out. They tell Chuck, uh, Travis is missing. We need to get some people out here. We need to find him. And he says, well, what happened? Then the guys describe, you know, the whole thing to him. And, of course, Chuck was, uh, um, well, surprisingly, I guess he was he was kind of uh, open to it. He knew these guys. And, and he says that uh, at least there's indications that, uh, and he's made a few comments, but not much in the past, that these guys were, you know, really distraught. Um to the level, I guess, as you should be uh, if you you saw what you thought might have been your friend being killed in front of you so or colleague. So they were really freaked out, so we took them seriously, and they, they did the investigation, and the rest is history. Uh, read Travis's book or go look at our story at Open Minds TV because I embedded uh, a UFO Congress talk that Travis did for us a few years ago where he talks about the entire incident. And we have this online on YouTube for free. And if you go to openminds.tv and look at this story about the first police officer on the scene to speak at the Travis Walton 40th event, you'll see, you'll be able to watch that entire thing. So go check it out. It's going to be really interesting to hear from Chuck Ellison. Um, There will be other witnesses uh, like Chuck who haven't spoken uh, publicly or in a public forum like this before. So it's going to be a a unique and fun event. So um, check out that posting, and hopefully you can make it. I'll be emceeing, so I'll also be um, hosting these panels. So I'll be doing the questioning and and getting to the the bottom and the heart of all of this interesting stuff. So no doubt there will be, you know, 40-some years later, There'll be some more information for the public uh, that has not been heard before. Uh, that's what's so interesting about this case. You have so many witnesses, and uh, now as the years have gone by, you know, uh, with open minds, we've been able to at the Congress get some of the witnesses who hadn't spoken before, and being able to see the behind the scenes and how these guys interact, it, it's very much like how people would interact. I think if uh, they had truly experienced these things. Not one interaction between these guys has indicated to me that there's any false, um, uh, you know, claims going on. And these guys struggle with things. Of course, this is going to hurt you or, or affect you emotionally. 
and they do have these effects. These guys aren't always the best of friends. They're not all best buddies. They're, they are acquaintances and deal with each other as such. Some of them know each other more than others. But my point here is just that um, it's not like these guys are bound by a secret or seem to be bound by secrets or anything. They're just individuals living their lives all dealing with uh, what they experienced in different ways with different perceptions about what had happened, but all agreeing that this happened, that this this craft of some sort was there in the forest, uh, beamed their buddy. They almost got blamed for murdering Travis uh, because people didn't want to believe, of course, there was an extraterrestrial or some strange craft there. Uh, of course, it's an assumption that it's extraterrestrial. So it's really weird stuff, uh, but it's going to be a great event. So that's going to be really fun and uh, uh, really excited about that. But yeah, I wanted to share that. But uh, other than that, we do have some videos and pictures online. Roger Marsh, who's the director of communications for MUFON, is just doing a great job getting into um, unsolved and, you know, c closed cases for MUFON. Um, largely where they determined they couldn't determine what it was a witness had seen. So really interesting stuff there at the site at openminds.tv. As for the UFO Congress, like I told you guys um, earlier, we've got a lot of cool stuff, but um, we're going to have uh, kind of, you know, a couple citizen hearing type of things because uh, – it was exciting. So if you're not aware of that, the citizen hearing for disclosure was a couple years ago, and it was a mock kind of hearing that was hosted um, by Stephen Bassett. But uh, Stephen Bassett wasn't the only guy who put this event on. So we're going to have some of the other guys just because we, we gave Stephen Bassett an award. We heard what he had to say about all of this. But now we want to hear from some of the other people involved. So we're going to have uh, Ruben Langdon. He was a guy who helped produce the whole thing. And he has uh, edited along with Jeremy Corbell, who you guys have heard on the show. But he they've edited together all the video footage for the entire thing. And so they're going to be there to show some of the best footage and to talk about this and to talk about a future project they have related to this um, that you all can help with, that uh, you all can uh, be in on a bit. Uh, so they're going to be talking about that. But we're also going to have one of those congressmen who was skeptical, who showed up and was like, OK, what are these goofballs going to tell me, you know? And he says, you know, some of them were goofballs that he heard from. But he says a lot of them weren't. And a lot of them were very convincing. And he wants to talk about uh, how and why he was convinced that this is a real phenomena and what needs to be uh, done going forward regarding government secrecy um, in this arena when it comes to UFOs. So terribly interesting. Uh, this is going to be uh, unique and uh, and this is great. We're really excited about that. So he's going to do his own lecture and he's going to participate in some um, some panels. So and this is Congressman Cook. He was a representative from Utah. Uh, so he's in the House of Representatives and uh, we're really excited about that. But let alone a lot of other great people. We're going to have John Greenwald. We're going to have. Oh, this is funny. OK, one more thing. I'm, I know I'm going on, but. Uh, Chase Kletsky. So you guys know we've had her on the show. She's a MUFON investigator, and uh, she's kind of even got her own MUFON investigation team with MUFON. 
Um, and that's new, actually, since we interviewed her, I believe. Um, so, well, I know so, because interestingly, I interviewed her at the Travis Walton event. Um, at that time, she wasn't with MUFON because she had been with MUFON, but uh, she left at MUFON. Um, but uh, like soon after the Travis Walton um, conference, you know, last year where he had kind of this pre-conference kind of thing out there in November last year, uh, you know, there was another event where Chase was and uh, she got to speaking with Jan Harzan, the director of MUFON, and, and uh, she ended up going back with MUFON. Anyway, you may have noticed this. She's out in Australia doing talks about UFOs, and she's got all these news stories. Australia loves Chase Kletsky because they're writing all these news stories about Chase and this important UFO investigator and how she thinks we're about to crack the case. You know, soon we're all going to know more about what's going on, and there'll be less secrecy. So really interesting, and she's going to be speaking at the UFO Congress as well. Uh, We have... I don't know. We've got a lot of exciting stuff. We've got, um, I think this is kind of funny, dueling PhDs. We have a, a professor of history who's going to talk about the bad aliens. And, he, and, of course, this is David Jacobs, who's done a lot of research into this field. But then we have a director, a professor, a retired professor of journalism who's going to say the opposite. He's going to say, no, I think that uh, they're all pretty good and they're here to help us. So um, kind of like our interview today, you know, is it good? Is it bad? Is it somewhere in between? I don't know what the heck's going on here, people, but it sure is curious. That's why I like uh, trying to find out. So we've got a lot of really interesting stuff. Go to ufocongress.com to check that out. Be sure to reserve reserve your room ASAP because I think uh, it appears we're going to sell out of rooms earlier than usual. Um, because uh, we just have it's a popular conference and really there's limited space at this conference I mean it's a one it there's no other place like this where you've got this beautiful hotel you know a, a top-of-the-line hotel where the Richie riches go to play golf and whatever where we've got the rooms down to like less than half off so it's affordable and everybody in this beautiful location hanging out on all the tables and the beautiful outdoor spaces uh, are all UFO people. So there are all of these conversations everywhere going on about this topic, uh, all the way from your nuts and bolts to, you know, the more uh, fringe type of topics. And then amongst all of these are some of your favorite researchers um, and, and authors in this field. Uh, you know, Travis is always there. Um, again, you know, now a regular are Kathleen Martin and Stanton Friedman. Uh, even if they're not speaking, they come to uh, just be there and to talk with their fellow researchers and to um, talk with uh, interested people in the public. So that's one of those things. We have a lot of researchers who are typically uh, there and authors, even if they're not speaking, because it's kind of like the event to get together and to talk and and when can you talk to the community uh in in that sort of way you can't except for at the ufo congress so i mean that's what it is that's what it's always been that's the legacy that we've uh tried to continue on uh which was created even before we owned the and ran the event um it's changed hand a few times uh but uh that's that's something we've tried to keep so anyway 
UFOcongress.com. Go to openminds.tv for everything else. We've got updates on the Puerto Rico case at uh, openminds.tv and on the new UFO report. Uh, go to openminds.tv if you want to get our email newsletters where we keep you up to date on all the latest news and everything via email. You'll find a box in the upper right-hand corner uh, on openminds.tv where you can do that. Uh I want to thank Caleb Hanks for the opening and close music. You can find him on the radio page at openminds.tv, a link to the Clerk Chronicles where he posts his spectacular music. And I want to also thank you because you guys are awesome. It's And I want to thank you. You guys are awesome. Uh, it is always great to see you guys at some of these events we get to. Uh, honestly, I, I'm going to be at less of these events, not because I, I want to, just because uh, other things in my life are kind of pressing. And really, you know, I'm going to be speaking at the UFO Congress, and I'm going to I'm going to try to limit myself. You know, we have our own stellar event. I should just be uh, speaking at our event. <laughs> Because it's awesome. So if you want to hear Alejandro Rojas and some of my interesting lectures, and you know, I'm a fairly humble guy. I am pretty humble compared to many others. But uh, I really like my lectures. You know, I've been doing this for many, many years, writing stories pretty much every day on this topic. Every story I delve and I do research. So some of the favorite information I've come across over the years, I've compiled into different uh, lectures that I've been doing around and um, so I've had to start to turn down lecture um, requests, uh, and I so appreciate people who ask me. It's just that uh, I, I've my life is really busy. I got open minds to deal with and other things. So um, uh, come to the Congress if you want to see some stuff. Or um, and uh, anyway, but it, it's still wonderful to see you guys when I get a chance. We will be at MUFON in a month, um, and and we'll see some of you there. But uh, otherwise, thanks so much for listening, everybody. You guys are awesome, and uh, it's a great pleasure to be able to talk to you all on a weekly basis. You have a wonderful week, and we do have a guest scheduled, so we will be back next week. Adios, muchachos. <laughs>